Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Joined, as always, for the news of the day with the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Daryl Slater. So, Daryl, I hear there was a press conference yesterday. There was. Yeah. Some people tweeted about it, too. Yeah, something with eyes? Something happened over there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess... I guess some people were, um, were, were I guess, were amused by uh, by what happened yesterday at, at, at one Jets drive. But yeah, so Adam Gates is introduced as the Jets head coach, and um, yeah, look, I, I think it was an interesting press conference. Obviously, um, from a couple perspectives, you know, and people, obviously, everybody knows and tweeting about that. You know, Adam Gates had a little bit of a look nervous to say the least. I think, you know, I was I was wondering, yeah. My Dolphins is a big gig down there in Miami, and he's done big press conferences before. But it's a pretty big room that they have these things in. It's the big auditorium where they have team meetings, and it's a lot of cameras, a lot of people there. Um, you know, and this is a guy who, you know, never he's, he's not he's not an orator. I mean, he's not he, you know neither was Todd Bowles, and neither are most of these NFL coaches. Um, you know, most of these guys are not big talkers like Rex Ryan. They just want to coach. And uh, I, you could tell that, you know, with Adam Gase, he had a prepared statement, and it was the standard stuff, but it was nothing bombastic, nothing fiery. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Um, and he, you know, but I think, he, you know, his deal is he wants to get in here and coach and and produce results. And that, you know, to him matters more than an opening press conference. I don't think most fans would agree with that being a, a priority. So um, it was, uh, you know, a little bit of a nervous awkward press conference at times i think his answers were fine standard stuff nothing crazy uh on the fiery end of it or the emotional end of it or nothing super evasive he didn't really want to talk a lot it seemed about the mistakes he made in miami he spoke generally about them um and then he talked after the press conference he spoke to reporters in a small group and he was engaging and he was funny and he was actually pretty candid in, in that little group session talking about um, some of the things, and I guess we can kind of get into them here as we go along, but, um, but yeah, I just, I think the notion that in general, I guess right off the bat here, people are going, it's like goes back to what, like the Kennedy Nixon debates, right? Like what you see on your TV is going to frame your opinion of someone immediately. Like the first impression of, of a, of a visual impression of someone, um, is going to frame your opinion. And, and, I think there's some validity to that when you're talking about a politician or, or that sort of thing. But, you know, this guy's job is to coach football. So if you want to judge him based on how he did sitting behind a podium and speaking, okay, fine. I don't think that has any bearing on how he'll do coaching, uh, coaching football. And the, the bottom line is his delivery when it comes to presenting himself in, as a, in a speaking role 
matters a lot more in terms of how he does that in a motivational and game-planning way when he's talking to the players than it does when he's talking to a room full of reporters and former Jets players. Uh, so, like, the notion, I think, of winning the press conference is, like, probably one of the dumbest things in sports, and there's a lot of really dumb things in sports. So, uh, it's it's ridiculous. Like, I think Rex Ryan is, is undefeated in press conferences, and he'll be out of the NFL this year for the third straight year. So... What does that tell you? I mean, it's about results. And I think the Jets are kind of over this idea that they have to make a splash with um, in the ways that don't really matter, which is what Rex Ryan – now, again, obviously, he had a lot of – he had great on-field accomplishments, not to downplay it. But, but I think people will look back um, at some of the negatives of Rex Ryan, and it's that he made a splash in a lot of ways that ultimately didn't matter, you know, um, the the fun press conference type stuff, and it, it was fun for reporters, and it was fun for fans, I'm sure, to watch. But like that stuff doesn't have staying power. Um, and the Jets are fine with being boring winners. Obviously, right now they're boring losers in terms of the results. But um, they they just want the results right now. And I think fans would agree that they, at this point that they just want to win. And um, so that's my takeaway from it. You know, the notion of winning the press conference is silly, and uh, we'll see what Adam Gase does from here on out. But the, but to say that he was a complete disaster yesterday I don't think is accurate because what people didn't see is after that press conference, he, he did, and this is the way they, they, they always do it, they have a little breakout session with the main beat reporters on the stage uh, that's not filmed or anything with Adam Gase and Christopher Johnson and Mike McCagnan. The pre- opening press conference was only 12 minutes, and it was largely the quotes were worthless. But there was he was good and, and actually fairly candid in the in the afterward part of that. And um, and obviously people don't see that on their web feed or whatever. But um, that's reflected in our coverage in terms of what he said in those in those portions after, and even what Christopher Johnson said, who was much better in that little afterward portion. And we can get into all that. But those are my broad strokes takes on. Uh, on what went down yesterday. For anybody who wants to hear a better interview than the initial presser, you can go check out Michael Kay's interview with Adam Gase from yesterday afternoon. It was a lot better than the presser. And like you said, Daryl, he came off much more engaging and much more as a regular person giving normal answers. So I recommend going and listening to that. And for anybody who didn't catch the JFK Nixon reference there that Daryl laid down, essentially the story there is when they were running against each other for president and they were debating, people that watched it on television thought that JFK won because he seemed more calm, more relaxed. Nixon was sweaty, seemed nervous. The people that listened on the radio, however, thought that Nixon won. So it just shows you that sometimes it's all about the appearances, especially now, fast forward many, many years to what's going on in society. In fact, it reminds me a little bit of that line from Dennis Miller's comedy special years ago when he was talking about James Stockdale, who at the time, this is 1992, was the running mate for Ross Perot, and he came off really poorly on television. At one point, he had to turn up his hearing aid, and he just seemed kind of out of place, but that was one of those situations where, again, here's a guy that had served overseas, and his he had trouble hearing because his eardrum had been beaten out as a POW, and he wasn't used to that kind of setting, but this is a guy that was a tenured professor, very smart guy, and so Dennis Miller joked about how 
for all of these things that you could look up in his bio with Stockdale, the one thing that he did that was wrong was he committed the ultimate sin in our culture and he was bad on television and then made a reference to how Patty Chayefsky, who is the director of Network, and if you haven't seen that, go ahead and do it. Trust me, especially nowadays, it really holds up. He said that Patty Chayefsky was somewhere laughing his butt off because what he wrote about Network was true and that it's all about appearances and TV is king and all of that. And I think we saw a lot of that with Gase. Yeah, it's interesting you made that point just to interject. First of all, Network on Broadway was awesome with Brian Cranston. It's worth seeing. But mm-hmm. this is the notion of the medium is the message, right? The right. medium is how you're seeing something is the message. If you had heard Gase on the radio or the audio of that, at the press coverage, like he talked normally. like He had that kind of look on his face like, you know, he was very intense and in the moment and maybe a little nervous. And you, you thought, like, uh, it was hard for us to see because we were off to the side. But um, you, it almost was like you were expecting him to say something, like, really intense in that moment. But he was very measured in his responses. So I think if you saw it on TV, you would have thought this guy's really nervous or um, or he's not really emotional in this moment. But he really – well, what came out of his mouth, the words that came out of his mouth – weren't overly emotional. So if you listen to it on the radio or whatever, if the audience you might have thought this guy is, um, you know, fairly even keel, which is what it sounded like, um, you know, just listening to it. Um, so, but yeah, no, I think it's amazing. Like, you know, these things that, like you said, going back to Kennedy Nixon or going back to Network, which came out in the 70s or going all the way through, like you said, Ross Burroughs running in the 90s, these threads of uh, the power of the visual medium uh, it, it's pretty remarkable how people get an impression of someone, and then that, that the staying power of that impression when Adam Gase isn't going to be in front of a camera or photos or camera for for how many weeks now? You know, these are the images that will that will stick in a lot of people's minds and the memes and all that stuff, especially with Twitter. I mean, these images are right there for you now to to see. Um, but like I said, it ultimately doesn't matter. Not to interject there, but I thought that the, the network point that you raised was a good one. Hey, listen, I'm always happy to have you interject when you're agreeing with me and making me look smart. So (laughs) anytime you want, Daryl, you interject with stuff like that. But we talked enough about the appearance of this now and the stuff with the eyes and the weird looks. Let's talk about what was actually said both at the presser and afterwards, like you were talking about roster control. This is something that has been talked about with Miami. While he didn't necessarily have full control of the roster in Miami, it's more or less known that he did have final say so he was the most important person in that organization from a football standpoint it sounds like that will not be the case with the Jets also sounds like Gase doesn't have a problem with that yeah I mean he that's definitely not going to be the case with the Jets Mike McCagnum will have the final say over the 53-man roster which is the same thing as what was the case when Todd Bowles was uh the Jets head coach so yeah, nothing is changing in that regard in terms of uh, the the uh, reporting structure. These guys both report to Christopher Johnson, uh, Adam Gase, and Mike McCagnan, and Mike McCagnan controls the 53-man roster, so no change there from the Todd Bowles era either. Uh, Gase was mentioning yesterday that you know having control over the 53 is something that he really didn't necessarily want in Miami. Now, he didn't really do a great job of it either. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and I, I think this takes a little bit. I wrote this today in kind of this eleven thoughts thing I put up about the press conference. But you know, I, you get the sense that maybe it takes a little bit of a stress off him. That you know, all he has to worry about is coaching now. Um, but it does put you know the onus on McCagnan to deliver some talent here. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. 
Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Speaking of the coaching, let's talk about that. He talked about his offensive staff and his defensive staff, what he's going to be looking to do there. Tell me a little bit about that. And also, while we're talking about it, is there any news as far as defensive coordinator? I know Greg Williams' name has been thrown out there, and some people assumed it was more or less a done deal. We haven't seen anything official yet. What's going on there? Yeah, nothing done yet. Um, And uh, there was a report out of, Washington that that the that the Redskins wanted to talk to Greg Williams I guess um, as they look at defensive coordinator candidates and he, of course he was he had some great success there uh, earlier in the two thousands oh five oh six in that area um, so we'll see if if that happens uh, I think the broad strokes takes on on this were uh, th- these are mainly things that he's talked about afterwards like after the the press conference and I think if people had seen that portion of it where he was just standing around with us talking in a group he was like totally n- normal and fine like he didn't do anything you know that would he was nervous and he gave good answers so one of the things that and ultimately it's about the substance of what he said here so we'll just focus on that but like what um one of the things that he said uh, in regard to the offensive coaching staff was that he said he's just inclined to hire an offensive coordinator not a quarterback's coach so if you look at it Gase is going to essentially be both of those things he will be the guy who is calling the plays and working very closely with sam darnold and the coordinator now his i guess his first name is pronounced dowell i i didn't it's not dole uh, logan's i guess it's dowell i heard uh, on a video last night so uh dowell logan's uh who is probably going to be the oc and not call the plays will essentially be what jeremy bates was um OC slash quarterbacks coach, even though Bates called the plays and it sounds like Logan's is not going to. So Gase is not inclined to bring in a third guy to specifically be the quarterbacks coach because, you know, he thought the, the fewer, the fewer voices in Sam Darnold's ear, the better, you know, if they have two guys talking to him, Gase himself and Logan's, that'll be enough. And I think, you know, I think that's a good approach. And defensively, I thought he kind of gave kind of a curious answer um, in that regard, because, the Jets just had a couple coaches in the Bulls and Rex Ryan who were very defensive-focused guys who couldn't really coach the bigger picture of the team, who couldn't develop a quarterback. And I think they really need to hope here that Gates is not just the opposite of that. They need a guy who can oversee the team and take ownership of the whole team. And I think Gates would, would certainly say he is that. Um, but uh, when he was talking about 
um, his potential involvement uh, on defense, he said, uh, the quote was, I'm pretty sure that everybody is in the same boat, that I probably need to spend my time with the quarterback. That's why whoever we bring in here on defense, and he meant to be a coordinator, has got to do a great job of making sure he's really the head coach of the defense, and that's what we're looking for. Okay, I mean, I guess that could work if you bring in a Greg Williams, a uh, really experienced defense coordinator. If not, you know, maybe you can't give that much of total control of that side of the ball to just the, the defense coordinator in that, you know, even though Gase is not an, a defensive expert, that's something that he might have to have some, some overseeing of to oversee a little bit if they, if they don't bring in a guy like Greg Williams who has a tremendous amount of experience. But, like, I think ultimately the, the optics of that, um, I know what he was trying to get at, that he wants to coach to his strengths, um, that, you know, that's why they brought him in here to develop Sam Darnold. But they brought him in here also to be – a dynamic leader for this team, not not just to help the offense. Sam Darnold, like the, t- the Jets' two main needs in this coaching search were a guy who could develop a quarterback slash have a dynamic offensive approach, but a guy who could also be a a leader with a little sense of an, like an aura. Again, I remember after the Jets played the Patriots at the end of this past season, I did a little TV spot on the field with Rich Cimini, uh for for CBS, and they they asked both of us like. What, what do the Jets need to find in a head coach? And I think I said the offensive thing. And then Rich said this other thing that I'm about to say. And as we were walking away from the spot, he goes, yeah. He goes, I knew if you didn't say that, I would say the other. And I said, yeah, I agree. Because we both, you know, you both kind of, you kind of know that those are the two things the Jets were looking for. Number one was the offensive thing. And 1A or 2 were right there at number one, type for number one, is finding a coach with an aura. Like Bill Parcells had that. Like the Bulls didn't. He didn't have that, like, leadership and that gravitas of, and that chutzpah, you know, of like a of of, of like a, a a real leader type who who players would fear and listen to and um and who could really lead the program and and I think that they need to hope that Gase is that to uh, certainly to a larger degree than Bowles. Like no one is expecting him to necessarily be the second coming of Bill Parcells, uh, but. But if the Jets want to produce results, it's not just going to be about having a guy in the head coaching chair who can call really good offensive plays and develop the quarterback. It obviously has to be about more than that because this team has more problems than just that. They have issues on defense, and they have issues with um, clearly some discipline still um, and direction and ability to finish games and these bigger-picture things that just X's and O's in quarterback development isn't going to solve. Yeah, that was one thing that I came away from the press conference and subsequent interviews a little bit nervous about. It sounded like he thinks he's almost a glorified quarterbacks coach, the way he was talking about everything revolving around Darnold and fixing Darnold and not bringing in a quarterbacks coach, that he thinks his job is basically to just work with Sam Darnold and everything else will kind of take care of itself. We've sort of seen how that plays out with Bowles and Rex Ryan, and I get that it can work if you have the right arrangement in place, but you still have to have a coach who is plugged in enough to be able to at least know what's going on on that side of the ball. And obviously we heard stories including Rashad Jones pulling himself off the field during a game and Gase not even knowing about it until the press asked him about it later on. That's concerning, and so that's something that I would hope he does a better job of going forward. He did talk a lot about Darnold, though, so i got to ask you, Daryl, was my impression the same as yours as far as him thinking that the main part of this job is working with Sam Darnold? And also, what did he say about what he plans to do with Darnold? I mean, yeah, he 
basically the Jets talked about why you know they brought him in and his forward-thinking offensive approach was, was a big reason. And I mean, he basically came out and said that you know people think that he, most people think he needs to spend the majority of the time with the quarterback, which I think is probably reasonable to a degree. But you know, that's what I meant when I said he was pretty candid in, the, in this little session after the press conference. Um, if you actually listen to what he said, um, but. What he talked about with Darnold, I had a whole thing up there on the site right now talking about his impressions of Darnold, and I asked him like specifically, what do you what do you like about Sam Darnold? Like what what stands out? Um, and he talked about his quick release, his his movement um, in the pocket, his ability to absorb uh, things, and he doesn't have a lot of concerns about um, Darnold being able to absorb a new offense because there's obviously going to be changes from what the Jets did under Jeremy Bates. But I think. Gase probably understands that, you know, even though there are going to be schematic changes, the, the, the physical skill set and the strengths that Darnold has are, are going to be the same. So I think those are going to change in a matter of a weeks because the Jets have a new head coach. So, you know, that, that he probably needs to play to those strengths. Darnold's ability to move the pocket, his ability to throw in the run, his ability to, you know, play well when things break down, keep his eyes downfield. Now, obviously, you're, you're designing plays to work, not to be broken plays, but, um, but, to, to play off the, the strengths that Donald has um, and that, that he showed last year, um, even though the, the scheme's going to be different. So I, he didn't get too much into his detailed plans. He talked a little bit about like how he had not really watched Donald's film coming into the draft last year um, because the Dolphins are obviously picking at 11, and they were not have an opportunity to draft Sam Donald there. Um, so um, the, the majority of what he has seen – uh, from um, Darnold has been pro tape, which is last year when the Dolphins prepared for him twice. And then lately he's, he's, he's hammered through a lot more of Darnold's pro tape. But I think he'll be, do a fine job of getting familiarized with this guy. It's just a matter of putting him in situations where, uh, uh, by this guy, I mean Darnold, putting him in situations where uh, he can thrive. Daryl, let's talk a little bit about Gase's relationship with players because that was something that reportedly deteriorated in a lot of cases when he was in Miami. What did he have to say about this when asked? Also, did he tip his cap at all in terms of the types of players that he's going to be looking to recruit in free agency? He was asked about that. and He talked about you know having had a good relationship with almost all, all the players he's coached over the years. So um, there wasn't really a lot there. Uh, he, you know, he feels like he has good relationships with the players he's coached, um, and that, um, you know, that hadn't necessarily that hadn't been an issue for him. So we'll see going forward. I mean, he gets a clean slate with these guys, and uh, it, you know, it's up to him to to make this work. Um, and I'm sure his reputation, to some degree, will precede him with this group. People know about, you know, players know about this stuff, and they talk. Um, so we'll see what we'll see with that. I mean, in terms of who they bring in, um, he didn't talk a lot about that. But the the Jets and you know brass in general, whether it was Gase and more so Mike McCagnan, talked about the fact that the Jets have 100 million in cap space and some of these contracts have flexibility. Whether you're talking about the ability to cut Kelvin Beach and the ability to you know if they if they want to cut or they can trade Leonard Williams, the ability to get rid of uh, Spencer Long. Like from a scheme standpoint they have some flexibility to really overhaul this roster pretty quickly if they wanted to change a lot about what they're doing. Especially if you look at what maybe Greg Williams might run a 4-3. I mean, how would some of these guys fit in there? Like, obviously, um, you know, you have guys who are pending free agents, but you also have guys who have these contracts that the Jets can get out of reasonably quickly, and they have $100 million in cap space. So, 
they have the ability, as Mike McCagman said, to overhaul the roster pretty quickly based on what they want to do from a scheme perspective. So the team can, can look uh, pretty different next year. It has the ability to look pretty different next year in terms of getting players in here that will fit the scheme. But um, that's sort of what they talked about in general with that. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Daryl, you mentioned that he says he's had tight relationships with a lot of players that he's coached. One of them is a gentleman by the name of Peyton Manning who put in a good word for him to management here with the New York Jets, and reportedly that helped a little bit in getting him the job here. He talked a little bit more about his relationship with Peyton Manning with you guys yesterday. What did he have to say? Yeah, he talked about you know them. You know, he views Peyton Manning as, as like a uh, a colleague almost, and and Peyton Manning is actually older than <laughs> than Gase. Uh, let's see, Manning is right now he is uh, forty two, and, and Gase is is forty, so he's a couple years older than Adam Gase, almost almost to the day. Um, and um, uh, yeah, they viewed each other as. Uh, you know, or Gase at least viewed Manning as not so much of a player coach type situation, but as, you know, a peer to peer situation. And they obviously had a lot of success together in, uh, in Denver and they've remained close. And obviously Peyton Manning put in a good word for him with the Jets. And he was asked if he would be interested in, in bringing Peyton Manning in to talk with Sam Darnold. And he said, yeah, sure. You know, why not? And, uh, he, he stood one of the, the strong, points about Peyton Manning when he talks to the young quarterbacks is he's pretty honest, he's pretty upfront, and um, you know he, he speaks his mind. So I think that would be a cool opportunity for Darnold. And you could argue like um, like Peyton Manning saying Adam Gates is going to be a good head coach at Christopher Johnson. Does that really mean anything? I mean, I get, I mean it probably means more than his opinion about pizza, I guess. But like, <laughs> um, and he knows more about football. But like, um, uh, but. But in the end, you know, I, I don't think Christopher Johnson should have been making a decision just based on that. I don't think he did. But um, but it, it, what you can't really argue is that if you put Peyton Manning in a room with Darnold, odds are some good things are going to result from that. Like, it's not like he's the kid. The kid's going to come out of there a worse quarterback from spending, you know, maybe an hour talking to Peyton Manning. Like, it, it, it cannot hurt, right? So um, you can argue about the merits of Peyton Manning's uh, good word for Adam Gase. But I don't think you can, you know, the, the Manning connection in terms of how it could benefit Sam Darnold is obviously beneficial. There, I mean, it, there's no way it would be a harmful thing to have Peyton Manning come in and talk to talk to Sam Darnold. Um, so I think that could, could be a cool opportunity for Darnold. We'll see what happens in that regard. Daryl, let's talk accountability because this is one thing that Gase was criticized for during his time in Miami, that he did not take accountability for anything that went wrong. There was excuse after excuse after excuse. 
You guys asked him about this yesterday. What did he have to say? Did he take any accountability or did he pivot? I know you touched on this a little bit. And also, one of the things that people were nervous about was because of the fact that he didn't take accountability and because of the fact that he seems so dug in, perhaps he needed to take a year or two off from being a head coach, be bumped down to coordinator, kind of learn his lesson, lick his wounds, and figure out what he did wrong so that he could regroup and be better the second time around. Did you ask him about that as well? And if so, what did he say about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he talked in general about some of the mistakes he made and acknowledged mistakes, but didn't really get into specifics in Miami in terms of, um, so there wasn't really a lot to go on there. Um, so, but in terms of taking a year off, um, he said he was not going to do that. He wanted to be a coordinator somewhere. Um, he kind of joked that he spent nine days at home after getting fired and he was good with that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would just prefer to stay home all the time and collect a paycheck for doing nothing. But <laughs> I guess that's why I'm not a high-achieving NFL coach. And uh, so he wanted to uh, he wanted to do something this year, and he probably would have gotten a coordinator job if he hadn't gotten this job um, because he, I guess the Cardinals were interested in him, but they were Cliff Kingsbury. Um, so if, if the Jets didn't hire him, I'm sure he would have gotten a coordinator job somewhere, uh, or I would guess I would guess he would have. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he wanted to get right back into it. So some of these coaches have not had success doing that. Rex Ryan, Eric Mangini going right from one job to the next in terms of head coach to head coach. Um, of course, those are just two names familiar to Jets fans, but we'll see if Gase is any different. I mean, he has uh, a limited amount of time here to learn from his mistakes. Daryl, last thing before we go, we talked about the defensive coordinator situation and Greg Williams. If Greg Williams does go elsewhere or simply just doesn't come to the Jets, are there any other suitable candidates that you're hearing about right now? No, I mean, um, I don't know. Like, honestly, like, who else would be an option uh, at this point? Because they talked about Vance Joseph maybe being an option for the Jets. I'm sure there are guys out there who are not prominent names who um, are more familiar to uh, to Gase and to the Jets brass. Um, but... Um, up like maybe a guy who's like a position coach type thing at this point who's not really that well known, but obviously Greg Williams is the big name. Greg Williams is a coaching free agent, and um, that's the guy who ideally would be the presumably the best fit. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Jets. He comes in and the Jets are terrible on defense. But I did a little breakdown of him uh, over the weekend, and if you look at and it's up on the site from I think Saturday, but um, if you look at what he's done. Over the years, especially lately, you know, he's had a lot of, you know, top nine, top ten DVOA finishes in, in defense. Um, I think out of his 20 years, I think he has nine times, 20 years of defense coordinator head coach, has nine times finishing in the top nine in defensive DVOA. So, uh, you know, he has some down years, too, obviously. But you look at what he did in Cleveland. You look at what he did with the Rams before that. And his resume is really good. Obviously, the personnel with the Rams was, was fantastic. Um, and he had some really talented players in Cleveland, too. So, obviously, the personnel plays a large role in whether you're going to be good. And, and that gets back to Mike McKagan. I mean, it's interesting because Mike McKagan wasn't asked a single question on the, on the, on the uh, dais or whatever the, the, during the press conference. He, he talked in a small group afterwards, but didn't really say much. But for as much as yesterday was this unveiling of Adam Gates and the spotlight on Adam Gates and people talking about Adam Gates' demeanor and Adam Gates' answers and all that. Uh, 
you know, it's easy to forget that talent acquisition is going to play an enormous part in terms of whether this team is going to be any good. And a lot's going to fall on Mike McKagan here this offseason to get the right guys, to draft the right players, which he struggled to, at doing, especially in the middle rounds, to, if you're going to throw big money at a guy, to get the right guy. Like, is, is throwing big money at Le'Veon Bell the right move? Um, because certainly throwing big money at Darrell Reeves, throwing big money at Mo Wilkes, throwing big money at Tremaine Johnson so far, those have not been the right moves. So any big ticket free agent signing Mike McKagan as a mate has either been a total failure or looks to be on the way to being that, which in the case of Tremaine Johnson. So, um, yeah, we, we talked and talked and talked here about Gates, but uh, I think it's one point to end on and, and remember here is that there's another guy who has just an important of a role and if you're going to be nervous about Gase and what he's going to bring based on the fact that he was a little awkward in his first press conference, I think it's worth remembering that you better be a little bit wary about what Mike McCagnon may or may not do based on something more important, and that's his track record. So let's see what, what the next couple months bring in that regard. This was a bottom-level roster that needs major improvements. That's Mike McCagnon's job. We're hearing that Adam Gase is not going to be super hands-on with the defense. He's going to want somebody who's, quote-unquote, a de facto defensive head coach. Sounds like Greg Williams would be a good fit for that, so they better get that done because beyond him, I'm not sure who's out there who would want the job, who's seasoned enough to have that kind of role. Not sure how good of a sell it would be to get a no-name position coach in here who doesn't necessarily have experience as a quote-unquote defensive head coach. So we'll see how this all plays out, but a lot of interesting times ahead. I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about over the next couple of weeks and months. Daryl, thanks so much for coming on. As always, why don't you let everybody know what you and Matt Stipulkowski have coming down the pike over at NJ.com. Yeah, thanks, man, as always. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to all of our, you know, esoteric uh, <laughs> broadcast journalism references. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, tomorrow I'll have a little something on uh, what Mike McCagnin needs to do to give Adam Gates a competitive roster, a little checklist for him. A lot of them are going to be a little obvious to people, but it's a broad-stroke look at um, – uh, what Mike McCagnin has to do in order to uh, make this a competitive roster for Sam Donald, because that's his job, to give him the roster. And uh, the other thing being, there's an interesting decision the Jets are going to have to make coming up on Spencer Long and his contract. We'll have that coming up tomorrow. And uh, I think Matt had told me that he is uh, going to be doing some re-rankings of McCagnin draft picks. I know I did that a couple times last year where I ranked his draft picks but Matt's going to toss in the 2018 picks. I, I, I think it's a little too early maybe to rank those guys. Um, I think that's worth noting is that, uh, you know, one year in, it's hard to rank guys. You need a couple years at least, but uh, at least there's more of a body of work than there was before or midway through last season. Uh, so there'll be some updated rankings of Michael Cagnet draft picks, including the 2018 guys, um, which obviously can and will change. So that's what we got coming up. Hopefully Matt's rankings there are better than his rankings of musical selections. <laughs> I'll let you take that up with him. <laughs> All I could say is John Mayer over Tom Petty. Never, ever, ever, Matt. Never. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> I'm going to keep going at him for that until he apologizes and repents for that. But for as bad as his music takes are, Matt's 
football takes in his reporting are really, really great. So make sure that you check out him and Daryl over at NJ.com. Hey, Daryl, what a show today, right? We talked about the Jets, but we also dropped in some references to Network, Howard Beal, Richard Nixon, John F. Kennedy. What a weird football show this was, huh? <laughs> right, yeah. So if you get a chance, go see, uh, I don't know if it's still going on, the Network on Broadway, Brian Cranston. They did it in London first, and then um, it's not, it either was or is still on Broadway. I don't know if it still is, but we went uh, middle of last month, and it was obviously tremendous. I mean, Cranston is out of this world good. I mean, if, if he, he did the LBJ play. Um, if anyone remembers that, and I think he played him in that in the HBO uh, movie too. Um, and uh, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying, you know, he's come a long way since playing uh, Tim Watley on Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Cranston was awesome, and it's a very modernized look at um, at the message from that from that movie as they bring it to the stage. Um, and it's very applicable. It's almost a prophetic type movie as it turns out I mean, and a lot of it's just like it's co- almost copied to a large degree from the movie they did a nice you know they they they, they just kept a lot of this stuff and the material holds up so if you're interested in that go check it out uh, it's definitely worth seeing go see the play or daryl will be mad as hell and he's not gonna <laughs> take this anymore <laughs> Too easy. for anybody that doesn't get that reference go see the play and trust me you'll get it after that daryl thanks again for coming on really appreciate it. we'll talk again in a couple of days in the meantime check out daryl and matt over at nj.com and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcast you know where to go let's turn on the jets digital and turn on the jets.com